Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The ascension of Jesus. Probably the most important, most neglected event in the New Testament. The Feast of the Ascension was, as I mentioned this past Thursday, and I was preparing this week, um, working on Friday, and came across the news that one of my ministry heroes passed away, Dr. Tim Keller. Um, his faith has now become sight. He's ascended uh, to the Lord. And it just reminded me that many years ago, about a dozen years ago, I met Dr. Keller. Um, he was uh, part of a church planting conference I had put on for Anglican church planters. And I asked him, Dr. Keller, um, if you had a word for us, what do you think we should do? We're a new movement. We're trying to get reestablished. And he said, you should devote all of your energy, all of your resources to starting new congregations in college towns. Um, and friends, that word was a seed um, that eventually changed the trajectory of my ministry. Uh, we left a large, well-established church in Texas uh, to move back here and, and work to get St. Thomas started. Um, and I just mentioned that as a word of tribute. I'm incredibly grateful for his impact uh, on my life and so many. And even in just that brief interaction with him, uh, the Lord used that mightily uh, in my life. And so I thought, man, I'm going to look up what did Dr. Keller uh, talk about when he talked about the ascension, uh, since we're looking at it today. And so you'll, you'll actually, if you listen to one of his sermons on the ascension, um, you'll hear quite a bit sprinkled in uh, this morning, just as a, as a bit of tribute to this faithful saint. Um, and so I pulled up one of his sermons. All of his sermons are free online now. And the first thing he talked about was greeting cards. And I got really nervous. <laughs> Um, I mentioned last week that I don't actually preach Mother's Day sermons, and it has to do with greeting cards. Um, one time during a Mother's Day sermon, I tore up a greeting card and did not realize that a retired creative director of Hallmark uh, was in the congregation. Um, he let me know afterwards with lots of four-letter words in the fellowship hall. Um, but greeting cards, they're weird, right? I mean, think about all the events in the life of Jesus. Most of them, you can go to the store and get a greeting card. Um, his birth, you go get a Christmas card, right? His death, you can go find a Good Friday card at Publix. Um, his resurrection, lots of stuff for Easter. Think about the sacraments that he gave us. Baptism, you can go find a baptism card. You can go find a First Communion card. Has anyone ever found an Ascension card? <laughs> I mean, maybe there's some like awesome Etsy shop that has it, but like in terms of mainstream greeting cards, um, it's just overlooked. Um, it, it's overlooked often in the church. It, it happens on a Thursday, and I think we just kind of pass over it um, in our rush to get to Pentecost, but it's incredibly, incredibly important. So I want to talk about it this morning. Um, we've been in the upper room discourse for several weeks, this big chunk uh, towards the end of the Gospel of John. And in John 16, Jesus made a startling claim. He told his friends, I am going to him who sent me. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Um, he actually ties that eventually, that when I go away, I can then send the Spirit. Uh, but he prays for his disciples in our Gospel passage today, uh, John 17, what's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus but it's odd. 
man, how is the ascension, how is Jesus going away an advantage for us? How is it better for the disciples that their friend, who they had spent time with, listened to, walked with, seen his miracles, I'm sure just enjoyed his company. How is it to their advantage that he was going to leave and not be with them uh, anymore? Um, I think it's a good thing to think about on uh, as we consider the ascension. Because understanding the ascension shows us why it's better that Jesus, the Son, returned uh, to the Father. Um, and I'm going to spoil the whole sermon right here at the beginning. Is that okay? All right. In the ascension, uh, Jesus uh, becomes less present in one specific place. He's no longer here. We can't put our hand on his shoulder, right? He's less specific, uh, less present in one specific place in time and space as we know it. But through the ascension, by being less present specifically here, he becomes more present to everything, everywhere, all at once. And so this morning, I want us to look at the ascension and how that happens, how it actually makes Jesus more present, not less present. And I'm going to bounce around some of the readings that we've heard uh, this morning. Um, first of all, what happened in the ascension? Uh, the key thing we know is that Jesus was enthroned as king. The ascension is the King Jesus celebration. Uh, the end of the liturgical year, we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. And Bishop N.T. Wright says we shouldn't do that because we already have a Christ the King Sunday. It's the ascension because we celebrate the enthronement of Jesus. I mean, think about the logic of the Easter season. Easter begins when Jesus comes out of the tomb. Then Jesus hangs around for 40 days. What was he doing? Acts 1 verse 3 tells us he was making sure his disciples and the other key witnesses saw him could bear witness that he had been raised from the dead. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He told them again, I'm leaving, but you should stay put and wait on an amazing gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that next Sunday on Pentecost Sunday. Jesus wants his disciples to continue his work. And to do so, they were to wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit that would come and indwell them, that he will send as part of ascending to the Father. He goes up, the Spirit comes down. That's, that's the logic, the one-two punch of the Ascension and Pentecost Sunday. That's just a brief outline of the Easter season. Psalm 47 puts it wonderfully. God has gone up with a shout of triumph, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Jesus goes up. I mean, the word Ascension means to go up, right? To ascend. Um, and I just want to say real quick, I think we can get a little off track with that. Like, I, some of the worst art in the Christian tradition centers around the ascension. Because you see these terrible stained glass windows, and, and at the top are just feet sticking down, <laughs> and a cloud, and little sandals. You're like, what in the world is this? What in the world is happening? Uh, this is not a, Jesus going up, ascending to the Father, um, this is not some kind of superhero takeoff. This is not Superman jumping up and going into the clouds. It's not like he, you know, went through the clouds and then the atmosphere and then broke the barrier and then like crashed into heaven. 
Um, actually, when the first uh, Soviet cosmonaut went up into space, do you remember this? It was long ago. He came back and said, I have been there. I didn't see God. <laughs> FYI, people, he's not up there. Um, and it just, like, we just have this, na- and it's natural because all this language is spatial. It sounds like he goes up. He goes somewhere. Um, I don't think that's what's being communicated when we think about the ascension. I actually think this helps us tie a few things together. Um, we don't think of heaven as up there. Um, Bishop N.T. Wright says, heaven and earth in, in the biblical worldview are not two different locations within uh, space or matter. They are two different dimensions of God's good creation. And this is where it's confusing because the heavens in the Bible are the sky and heaven is where God dwells. And in the scripture, what we usually see is that heaven um, is, is, is what we don't see. It's where God dwells. Um, our friends in the Celtic church would talk about thin places where it feels like God's uh, dwelling is almost crashing in upon us. What that tells us is that heaven is not up there. It's what's unseen where God dwells. That's where Jesus returns. Uh, N.T. Wright actually calls it the control room uh, of all creation. And the great hope of the New Testament is not that we'll like take off like Superman and go find somewhere up there, but that heaven and earth will be made one. There'll be this marriage of heaven and earth as everything is renewed. And so Psalm 47 will focus on the rule and reign of God from his throne. You've got the ascension account in Acts 1 that uh, earlier in Luke, Luke already had talked about the ascension. Um, I tend to think the whole book of Hebrews might be a sermon on the ascension. It's about the enthronement of Jesus and his ministry as our high priest. What we realize is that Jesus returns to the Father's side where he's enthroned. Part of the beauty of the ascension is the unity of and the fellowship between the Father and the Son. John 17, this prayer, is all about the unity of Jesus and the Father, right? It's like Jesus pulls back the curtain just for a moment for his friends and goes, this is what I've been doing the whole time. My Father's work to show you the Father. Um, Jesus wants us to know the Lord. And so he ascends to the Father. He's enthroned in glory as a king Um, By the way, we saw a a pale, paltry shadow of this recently in the coronation, right? I mean, I'm sure right now in your mind's eye, you can see King Charles sitting there, right? With his robe and his scepter, he's on the throne. And it occurred to me what's really odd in that scene is there was a time when to be the king or to be the emperor, uh, you ruled. And your word... Uh, made everything happen, right? Um, King Charles is not going to (laughs) reign. He's not going to rule. He's a figurehead with no power. And I wonder how often we think of King Jesus in the same way, as a figurehead with no power. So have your ceremony, have the pomp, have the circumstance, and then let us handle the real world and real life. No, we have a king, a real risen and reigning Lord. And that should call for worship. That should call for obedience. If you look at the first two verses of our psalm this morning, it says, Oh, clap your hands together, all you peoples. 
And Donna Adams is not even here. It was our clapper. Man, bad timing for Donna. Sorry. <laughs> Cry aloud unto God with shouts of joy, for the Lord most high is to be feared. He is the great king over all the earth. A little down further, verses 6 through 8 of this psalm. I love this psalm. Sing praises, sing praises unto our God. Sing praises, sing praises unto our king, for God is the king of all the earth. Think upon his mighty acts. Praise him with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. All these incredible psalms in the Old Testament, the rule and reign of God. The ascension says that's true of Jesus as well, as our great and mighty king. Why does the ascension matter then? If the ascension is Jesus being enthroned as king, why does it matter? I would say the chief reason it matters is it tells us that Jesus, the king, is our advocate. You may not have thought about it like this, but the ascension means there is a flesh and blood human in the throne room of heaven right now. I mean, the risen Jesus, who, you know, everything that went into the tomb came out, but once it came out, it had been changed and glorified and transformed. Uh, that body is in the presence of the Father. He didn't, like, disapparate. He went there. He's with God. It means that right now, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, that there is a human, a God-man, in the presence of the Lord. Um, that's incredible. That, that's a, there is a scandalous specificity to that claim, that the one who came out of the tomb is now eternally with the Father. Um, one scholar who's worked on the ascension, his name's Jarrett Dawson, it says, through the ascension we discover that the incarnation continues, that Jesus remains united to our human nature, and thus he cannot be spiritualized into some kind of you know, Christ principle or collapse into one manifestation of a God who was known in many ways. Moreover, the presence of our brother Jesus in heaven dramatically affects how we see our lives and place in the world today. Our brother is our king, and he's with the Father. He's at the right hand of God. Over and over, the book of Hebrews and even John 17 says, part of what he's doing is praying for you and me, interceding for uh, you and me, ministering in heaven, and we wait for him uh, to return. Not only does Jesus return to the Father in the ascension, as remarkable as that is, um, he'll eventually return us to the Father through the ascension. Um, I mean, it's remarkable to look at this through the lens of the New Testament to go, uh, Jesus, fully God, fully man, part of the Holy Trinity is with the Lord. And many would say that all that Jesus did, all that he accomplished, his death and resurrection, how did it get applied to everywhere? It's through the ascension. It's when Jesus, the king and the high priest, returns to the presence of God and goes, look what I've done. Tim Keller says it's actually a, a detonator, <laughs> that it releases all of the work that Jesus accomplished. It releases it everywhere to everything all at once, instead of just being in one place. 
That's the beauty of the ascension. And think about all that that means. It means the full and final payment for sin has been made. Because he ascended, Jesus goes, here, look what I've done. Hebrews says he enters by his blood, not the blood of bull and goats. Jesus left the Father's side for us. Now he returns to the Father for us. Hebrews 1, verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Don't you love that? His work is finished. I'll tell you, some of y'all know that by meeting in this space, um, we have a period before our services and after our services where we set up and tear down and put everything in a trailer. There's always this moment around one o'clock where finally everyone just sits down. (laughs) The work is done. We can rest. That's what Jesus does in the ascension. He sits down and rests. Uh, He's done his work and now its effect is rippling out. Hebrews 9 verse 24, Christ has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's what happens. When Jesus returns to the Father, he returns us to the Father. He he rebuilds the path between God and humankind. He gives us access to God. We can approach the very throne of heaven because of what Jesus has done. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, I've mentioned this before. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that's the ascension. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The ascension tells us we can actually approach God, that we can actually receive help, that we can find mercy that we can see the grace of God applied to everything, everywhere, all at once. John 17, Jesus tells us he prays for us. Um, We had that reading in 1 Peter 4. Did you hear that reading? I don't like that reading. Did you hear it? 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I don't like that verse. That verse tells me that the Christian walk is going to involve pain and suffering, that we shouldn't be surprised. Um, I think this spring, man, there's been some hard things going on. And I was like, oh, man, we shouldn't be surprised. First Peter tells us that when this comes, rejoice. When this comes, know that Jesus is praying for you and praying for me. The ascension is not about sandals in the sky. It's about how the Lord cares for us. And again, it's a little incomplete. Because if you go back to John 16, what he says is, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The ascension is how Jesus in heaven can be present, and the ascension is how Jesus can then send the Spirit to apply and continue his work, to indwell and empower each one of us. 
That's why it's to our advantage. I wonder if part of the reason that we really struggle with the ascension is we don't have a good theology of Pentecost. We, we don't see the great gift and advantage it is that the Spirit has come into our midst, come in to empower and indwell, to send us out on mission and to conform us to the image of Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth, people had to go to him to interact with him, right? How many times in the Gospels are people sending word to Jesus? Will you do this? Will you come? Or they're trying to approach Jesus, and maybe the crowd uh, is in the way. Or you remember the time that the, the children are trying to come, the disciples are like, hey, don't bother him. He doesn't have time for you. After his resurrection, he appears to his disciples, man, Thomas wasn't there. He missed the boat, missed the appointment. Jesus is in one place during his life, during his ministry, his death, his resurrection, even after his resurrection. He is somewhere, but once he ascends, uh, he can be everywhere. Because heaven has this tangential relationship with earth. It's the control room. It's how he can be, uh, we can have access to him. There's this tantalizing idea in Philippians 2, verse 7. It says that Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant in the incarnation. In other words, in a mysterious sense, and we don't have time to go into this, um, but when, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, Jesus somehow limited his power, limited his glory. It's like he had one hand uh, tied behind his back. Um, and it's beautiful that he did that. But in the ascension, that's undone. <laughs> he receives the fullness of his glory. He will minister out of the fullness of his glory. And when he returns, uh, we will see his glory everywhere. So the glory of the ascension is not that Jesus is absent or that he's left, but that he is now present and can be met everywhere. And I think we often think that uh, Jesus, uh, if we could just see him or touch him, we would believe. And the ascension says Jesus is available to you right now. And to every church, every believer, every person, we can have that relationship with Jesus right now because he has ascended. The ascension tells us Jesus can meet us with his presence his love, his protection. He is no longer uh, limited in a specific way by time and space. He's enthroned in heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was enthroned in heaven, he took all the victory won in his death and resurrection and applies it to everything. The ascension unleashes the finished work of Christ across the whole world and makes him accessible to everyone by the work of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.